welcome to Unity Presbyterian Church Online. This week in worship, Pastor David takes a look at some of the funniest Proverbs as he concludes our wisdom series. Let's listen. Well, good. Today, as Bailey mentioned, it's our last week studying wisdom. We have uh, gone through this series titled 40 Days of Wisdom, where we're spending the season of Lent diving into this uh, first and uh, topic. Next week is Palm Sunday. The week after that is Easter. So today is our final exposure to what Proverbs shares with us about wisdom. To that end, we're going to take things a little bit differently today. Uh, Generally, I take one theme that I see emerge in Proverbs and say, okay, what can we really learn from this theme, whether it's knowledge comes from God, or whether that is uh, the beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord, right? We kind of embrace those themes and say, okay, what, what can we learn from them? Today, instead of picking a theme, I've just picked four of my favorite Proverbs. Two of them are short, they're pretty quick, And then two of them are longer. And the reason they're my favorite is they just make me laugh. Yeah, Proverbs is an actually hilarious book. But throughout all of the hilarity, it teaches you a lot about wisdom, even through the ones that you read and go, wait, this is a proverb? This is making me chuckle right now. So hopefully, we can laugh and learn about wisdom at the same time. Here's the first one. It's Again, it's going to be a quick one. It's, as a dog returns to its vomit, so does a fool return to his folly. It's quite the mental image, isn't it? You know, I thought you'd like that first thing in the morning, really just be thinking about that particular proverb. That's one of those where, as I'm reading through the Bible, I'm like, wait, that's in there? Okay, all right, What, what does that mean? Well, you might remember that my family decided to get a pandemic puppy. I mean, what else are you supposed to do when you're staying at home so much? Might as well get a puppy. Might as well train and raise a dog. Her name's Annie, and she actually turns a year old this coming Saturday. Shows you how long we've been in this whole thing. Um, But she did something recently where we we had all of our gardening supplies out there, and we're getting ready to to garden and, and to get the garden beds up and plant new things, and the watering can was out there. And Annie decided to take that and proceed to just start sprinting in circles around the yard so we couldn't get it. Uh, We couldn't catch her, although I did take a picture of her. Uh, Here's Annie with the watering can. It took me and the girls, the whole family, chasing her, saying, bad dog, bad dog, you you drop that, bring that back right now. But she's quick. She's agile. And so she's avoiding us and, you know, running around. And finally, we were able to to grab her and take it away and throw her inside and say, don't do that again. Well, do you know what she did? The very next time we let her outside, she went looking for that watering can. Now, thankfully, we were wise and put it where she couldn't get it. But you could just see her looking for the very thing that got her in trouble not an hour before. That, to me, is a bit of the image that we're supposed to get from this proverb. You know, why do dogs go back to the same things over and over again that they know do not lead to good results in their lives? And it's not just for dogs, is it? No, this is really for us as well. 
The same is true for a fool returning to his foolishness. I mean, isn't it true that there are some things in our lives that we know are not good for us, and yet we just keep going back to them over and over and over again? Why do we do this? Well, thankfully, it's not just us that deal with this. This is a part of human nature as far back as several thousand years ago when this proverb was written. The author of this proverb recognizes that it's an issue in human nature where we find something that's not good for us, but we just keep going back to it as a dog returns to its vomit. But it's good for us to recognize this tendency within ourselves so that we can make a concentrated effort not to return to those things that we know are not forming us to be the people that we really want to be. Those same poor choices or those same damaging situations that continue to get us in trouble. So a foolish person continues to return to his folly. But let's flip that. What does a wise person do? Well, a wise person learns from his mistakes. Okay, that's the first proverb. That's the short one. We've got one more short one for you that we can learn from. Here's the next one. Better to meet a bear robbed of her cubs than a fool bent on folly. I read that this week, and I wondered to myself, is it really better? Like, is it really better to meet a bear separated from her cubs than a fool that's bent on folly? I wasn't so sure. And then I read this story. Uh, It's a true story of a uh, mother who lives in northern Wisconsin, and she was going on a walk with her two kids. So she's pushing this double stroller. She's got a three-year-old on one side and a three-week-old on the other, and she's walking down this road, and then not 10 feet in front of her, two little bear cubs prance out of the woods and onto the other side of the road. So she stops in her tracks, and then, of course, as you know, what comes next, the mama bear comes out of the woods, sees her, and also stops in her tracks. So she has this moment where there's the cubs on one side of the road, the mama bear on the other, and she, with her two little kids, are right there in the middle. What would you do in that situation? She thought back to when the week earlier, she called animal services. And she told animal services, listen, the bears keep getting into my bird feeders. What should I do about these bears? And the response she got was, oh, you don't need to worry about them. If they're black bears, they will just leave you alone. The only time you need to worry about black bears is if you get in between a mother and her cubs. Don't ever do that. That's a dangerous situation. So as she's writing this article, she was saying, that was going through my mind when I was literally in between a mother bear and her cubs. She writes, at that moment, the bear goes up on its hind legs, and then thankfully, a car comes whizzing around the corner, spooks the bear, the bear runs off into the woods, and so the mom then hightails it out of there with her stroller. I'm thinking of that story and going, that it can't be better to be in that sort of situation than to be around a fool that is bent on foolishness, right? Because that seems pretty dire. 
But then the more I thought of it, I thought to myself, well, I, I guess to answer that, we really do need to think of the times in our own lives where we have been bent towards things that have hurt us or the people around us in the long term. I mean, that, that phrase, bent toward, that, that implies almost an obsession or even an addiction as you are bent in one specific area. I think of a metal pipe that's bent to the side. It's really hard to then bend that back in another direction, right? So that, that verbiage just implies that you are solely focused in one direction. But the direction of this proverb is in foolishness. So you are determined, you are solely focused on doing the things that you know don't lead to a good life that might hurt you or the people around you. You know, I bet we can think of people, maybe even times in our own lives, where for some reason something was going on inside of us and we were just so determined to do the choice, to make the choice that wasn't going to be good for us. And maybe it hurts your family as well as you. When we think of this way, you know, maybe it is better to be in that situation where, yeah, you're in physical danger, but you don't have this obsession towards this wrong choice that you know is not going to help you be the person you want to be. So a foolish person, we're told, is bent towards folly. What does a wise person do? Well, I think a wise person surrounds themselves with people who are bent towards self-improvement, who are bent towards bettering the world, who are bent towards becoming the type of person that God wants them to be. Okay, that is our second proverb. Those are the two quick ones, just the quick hits where we go, okay, I can learn something from that. There's some wisdom there, even though the proverb on face value makes you go, huh, okay, I didn't know that was in the Proverbs. Now for a little bit of a longer one, and I like this one a lot too. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6 says this, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. So in this pro proverb, we're encouraged to be like an ant. An ant is giving us perception of wisdom? Well, for this proverb, to understand how the ant leads us to wisdom, we first need to look at who this proverb is addressed to. It's addressed to the sluggard. Now, a sluggard, again, that's a term we don't use very often. Much like the mocker last week is a term we don't use very much, but the mocker was supposed to describe a specific person that is using a specific type of behavior. Well, the sluggard is the same way. The sluggard describes a specific type of person engaging in a specific type of behavior. So what you're going to see in this proverb is that there's a contrast. And it's a contrast between the ant and the sluggard. So let's read on and find out what the ant is like. Because remember, the ant is leading us to wisdom. The proverb goes on, the ant has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. 
Okay, so think about how that ant was just described in this proverb. The ant has no leader, right? No overseer, no commander, no one's in charge telling the ant what to do. And yet, what did you notice the ant did? Well, the ant collects the food that it needs, both in the summer and the fall, so that when the long winter comes, the ant and its colony has enough food to make it through. What's implied here is that the ant has self-discipline. The ant is self-motivated. The ant doesn't need someone saying, hey, you need to do this to survive. Something intrinsic within the ant just knows, hey, this is what's important. This is what I need to do. Can you see why the ant is used as a depiction of wisdom in this proverb? What this proverb is demonstrating is that God is the one that provides the environment where the food is available, but it's up to the ant to be diligent enough to harvest it at the right time and in the right way. What the author does now is compares the ant to the sluggard. So let's read about the sluggard. The proverb goes on. He says, How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. So, who is a sluggard? Well, modern terms we might use are lazy or, or couch potato, something of that nature. But I want you to recognize this is not describing someone who just likes to sleep in every once in a while. Uh, this is not describing someone who uh, just enjoys every once in a while after a long week of work binging on a Netflix show. No, that's, that's not who a sluggard is in this situation. Now, the proverb is, is really seeking to describe habitual laziness. Now, contrast the sluggard to the ant. If the ant is giving us wisdom, and if the sluggard is giving us foolishness, then we really need to contrast these. And so I, I took what I saw in Scripture, but then I also creatively kind of added more of what I thought were the characteristics of people who were like an ant and people who were more like a sluggard. So here are some of the comparisons. Obviously, an ant is wise, and a sluggard is foolish. That's what we're seeing here in the proverb. But we also see that the ant is a self-starter. The ant simply knows what needs to be done and then goes to do that thing. Whereas I imagine the slugger would be more like a procrastinator, thinking, ah, I know what needs to be done, but I'm just going to continue to sleep. You know, I'm not going to get out of my bed. I'm not going to harvest anything, even though winter is coming. I would imagine that the ant is much more of a team player, don't you think? I mean, there's a whole colony of ants working together for the greater good, the greater community. I would imagine the sluggard would be more like, and we, we can all probably relate to when you have a team project and there's that one team member who just lets everyone else do the work. That's what I imagine the sluggard being like as a part of a team, where you're not thinking about how do we all succeed together but you're saying, well, can I do just enough to get by and let everyone else do much more 
than I do. I would imagine that the ant is very responsible, responsible for himself and responsible for the colony, whereas the sluggard probably just makes excuses, thinks about, well, you know, can I make an excuse for why I did not do what I know needs to be done? The ant, I would guess, enjoys learning. And the sluggard, I would guess, avoids learning at all costs. Do you see why these two things are used in this proverb? An ant for a description of wisdom and a sluggard as a description of foolishness. Now, one thing I want to make clear is that the comparison here is not intended to shame anyone. Instead, it is to help us recognize that we are probably all a mixture of both categories. We've got some ant tendencies in us. We also have some sluggard tendencies in us. It's good to recognize that. It's good to recognize that we are a mixture of these things. I have times when I am motivated and responsible, a good team player. And I've got other times where I procrastinate, where I make excuses, when the team probably feels like I'm letting them down. We are a mixture of both of these lists. But to be wise is to not only recognize that, but then to lean into your ant characteristics. Those times when you are responsible, recognizing that and saying, I want to be like this more often. The, the times where you enjoy learning, to say, okay, I'm going to lean into that and really try to, to nurture this side of myself because that's the side that leads to wisdom. What we're told in this proverb is to be wise, is to live more like the ant. Now, I did want to mention one more thing that I see in this proverb. It's an interesting way that the sluggard was described. So the sluggard is described as having a little sleep, a little slumber, and a little folding of the hands to rest. Now, that repeating of the word little three times is actually intentional. Uh, That's a way to convey that the sluggard's laziness uh, does not come from one decisive decision to be lazy. But instead, it comes from little moments of surrender of simply taking the easy way out. So the sluggard, what the, the proverb is trying to share with us is the sluggard didn't wake up one day and simply say, this is who I'm going to be. I'm going to be a person who never wants to get out of bed, who's not going to look out for anyone but himself. But instead, it's a little of this, and then a little more of that, and then a little decision here, and a little deciding to take the easy way out instead of what I know is the right thing to do. And it's little steps in the direction that will lead this person to more lean into his sluggard tendencies. Or as one commentator put it, the sluggard does not commit himself to a refusal. It wasn't one decisive action, but deceives himself by the smallness of his surrenders. So by inches and minutes, his opportunity slips away. As this commentator, Kidner, identifies what really may be the biggest liability of a sluggard, which is what he so aptly terms 
the smallness of his surrenders. There's small moments where you know inside of you, hey, this is the right choice, but you compromise. Or you say, I'm going to do something else. I'm, I'm going to pretend I didn't see that. I'm going to instead go in this direction. The smallness of his surrenders. Uh, what this proverb is sharing with us is those small, seemingly inconsequential decisions over the course of a lifetime can really build up and form who it is that we become. So the danger is not simply to be that person who just never gets out of bed. That's not what the proverb is trying to get us to understand. Instead, it's those little opportunities that we let slip away because they require additional effort, but we just choose to do what's easy instead. So what would a wise person do in this situation? Well, the wise person would act more like an ant, to be diligent, self-motivated in the work that God sets out for you to do. So we've done the two quick proverbs. We've done now a little bit of a long exploration of a proverb. Here now is the final proverb that we are going to study in this series of wisdom. I hope this series has been a help to you, and in particular, I hope that it encourages you to make the wise choice and to seek and pursue wisdom every day of your lives. Here's how this series concludes. I chose this next proverb because I think it's a really good summation of all that we've studied up to this point. It comes from chapter 4, and it begins in verse 7. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Though it cost all you have, get understanding. So at first glance, that proverb probably seems a little bit confusing. Okay, wait, the beginning of wisdom is to get wisdom? Like, surely there's more to it than that, right? Well, I thought so too. So I did a little bit of digging, and I thought, well, what does that phrase really mean, get wisdom. And I was surprised by what I learned. I learned that that phrase is actually, um, in the time period it was written, kind of like a blunt saying that uh, was recognized by the people who read it. And what it implies is that if you want wisdom, you don't need any pre-existing characteristics in your life. Meaning, if you want wisdom, you don't need to be at a certain IQ level to have the really brains for it. Or to, to get wisdom, you don't need the right opportunity that's going to lead you into a life of wisdom. No, to get wisdom, all you need is a decision. A decision that if you want it, you go and get it. That's what this is trying to imply when it has that blunt phrase, hey, get wisdom. Even if it takes all that you have to attain it, go and get it. So that made me wonder, okay, if it's just encouraging us to go and get wisdom, what are some of the reasons why you wouldn't? I mean, what are some of the, the, the things in your life that might hold you back from really getting wisdom? And, and I thought of one, I, I thought, well, maybe it's self-perception. Maybe you just never saw yourself as wise. Uh, perhaps growing up, no one ever told you, oh, you're such a wise person, you should lean into that. Maybe they told you the opposite of like, well, yeah, you're not that smart, but you, you try hard. 
What's your own self-perception of what you believe is possible in you? Do you believe that you can be a wise person? Because what this proverb is saying is everybody, everybody here today and everybody watching online, wisdom is possible and accessible for all of us. It comes to the choice, the choice to pursue it, to get wisdom. And so let our self-perceptions not hold us back, because the true perception is that you are a child of God who is created to be wise, created to pursue wisdom. But I also thought there are times that we just don't value wisdom. Maybe we've spent our life searching for other things, other ways to find meaning in our lives. But perhaps after this series, we elevate the the value of wisdom to say, no, that's worth pursuing. That is worth the effort to get. So how do you get wisdom? Like if you make the decision and say, yes, I, I want to live wise life. How do you get it? Well, that's where the proverb goes next. And the pursuit of wisdom, we're told here, is a whole body experience. This is what I want to close the series with. Because I believe in this passage right here, it really gives us a way to respond with our lives of how to live if you want to pursue wisdom. Notice all of the the times that the human body is mentioned, okay? So he says, my son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, For everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Yes, fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet. And be steadfast in all of your ways. The pursuit of wisdom includes every part of who you are. Yeah, wisdom includes your ears. Who are you listening to? What voices in your life are you letting into your mind? Are you hearing from the voice of God? Wisdom includes your eyes. Where is your gaze fixed? Are you spending more time looking at the worries and the troubles of life, or is your gaze fixed on God? Wisdom includes your heart, because everything you do flows from that. That is your core. That is your center. So guard it carefully. Wisdom includes your mouth. Is what you say spreading wisdom to this world? And will others around you hear wisdom flow from your lips? Wisdom includes your feet. Literally, what direction is your life headed? Where are you walking? What path are you pursuing? And are you happy with the direction of your life? The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Wisdom. 
with your ears, your eyes, your mouth, your feet, and your heart. It is worth the pursuit. If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.